Charlie, the Bulldogs have got two flags now. That was two years ago, mate. Get over it. If you think we'll be insightful, clever or just when we search, we're here to say that's not the case. We'll just go out and wing it. We are two guys, one car. It is Sunday, the 23rd of September. Welcome to Two Guys, One Cup, an AFL podcast. My name is Will Anderson. And my name is Charlie Clawson. And this is almost an emergency uh, calling of Two Guys, One Cup. Is, is this right, Will? I think it's been demanded from the public. I had to go off Twitter yeah. on Friday night because the amount of notifications <laughs> I was getting with the hashtag Richmondy uh, was something that, look, I was just like, it had been laying dormant for so long. And it was like I'd been watching a series of a show and the big twist had been in front of my face the entire time. And I just hadn't seen it. Like all this season, all I've been doing is like looking for a replacement for Richmond. The old Richmond, the the Richmond of competition needs a a team that sets its standards so high and then rips the rug from underneath you in the most Richmondy of ways. And I tried to, I tried to force that personality, Charlie, onto other teams. I tried to make Melbourne Richmondy, and oh dear God, we're going to get to that. Don't worry. Well, but it was too late, Melvin. It was too late because the true contender to the Richmondy crown was, of course, Richmond. I mean, oh my God, Charlie. It was one of those things where, uh, you and I were texting on Friday night watching the game and I was the same. I had like, my phone was blowing up and it was one of those things where I'm sure maybe mid season or something, uh, we discussed like, is there a bigger Richmondy tale to be played out? And I think we sort of, like the rest of the AFL community, got lulled into a false sense of security where we're like, no, Richmondy is dead and buried. This is not the same old Richmond. But little did we know they had something in store for us that was mwah, <laughs> chef's kiss to my fingertips, <laughs> Richmondy. I mean, just better than we could have ever imagined. Like now last year makes sense. Yes. They had to have the success of last year so we could have this Richmondy moment. For me, this is what it's all made building up to. We got distracted by the fact that they won the grand final and, you know, Dusty won the Brownlow and he won the Norm Smith and they were the best team in the competition and they all loved each other. We got distracted by that and didn't realize that the most Richmondy thing of all was still to come. Well, I actually kind of had to keep my powder dry because in the first two quarters, that's when the Richmondy text started coming in. And I was like, you know, no, 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 no. Let's just wait and see. I actually composed a tweet that was, uh, you know, I think I actually sent it by the end of the game, which was that, you know, a Richmondy performance right now is like losing a prelim uh, and having a player who had not even played the game three years ago dominate. And I was like, but you know what? I'll just see how this plays out. And in the third quarter, I was like, oh, you know what? Maybe Richmond is dead and buried. They, they rallied a bit of a comeback. You know, if some few, a couple of things had gone right, look, I know better than anyone that a bounce of the ball can really ruin your fucking life. <laughs> but it felt more than that. I mean, Let's be honest, everything that could have gone right for the Magpies went right, and everything that could have gone wrong for the Tigers went wrong. Uh, It was a classic example of one team played their best game of the season and the other team played their worst game of the season. There's no doubt about that, but the fact there was just so many Richmondy things about it when you look back, like Mm. the fact that they'd won 22 in a row at the MCG. 
The fact that they had been the number one team in the competition. The fact that Dusty, all week, there had been issues over whether he was going to be good enough for the game. Yeah. Uh, there was They were going up against Collingwood. The classic, you know, backs against the wall Collingwood. It was two teams, you know, at their peak. Collingwood backs against the wall peak and Richmondy opportunity to be Richmondy peak. Well, I mean, they really should have named this the Clash of Two Guys, One Cup because it's two of our favourite tropes coming together. It's backs against the wall versus Richmondy. Like, it was right in front of us the whole time. I mean, I even tipped the Magpies, but I didn't know that Richmondy was going to come into play. I was just going off one trope. Little did I know that both tropes were going to come into play. But what's more Richmondy, like you said, Charlie, than the way the actual game played out? The fact that they got beaten by, you know, a, a full forward who was who was playing in the VFL and doing some landscaping in the first couple of rounds. Who two, who two weeks ago was being crucified for his finals performances. Like, this was a guy who had p- produced nothing really in the final series. The experiment, the US experiment that got wrong. The fact that a chant was going around the MCG, 95,000 people, and the chant of USA, USA was going around. That could only happen when one team is playing, and that team is Richmond. I mean, the guy hadn't heard of AFL football five years ago. Richmond got defeated by a guy who five years ago had not heard of the sport of AFL football. Yeah. Like, literally, (laughs) he could not drop a mark. He had the stickiest hands I've ever seen. It's one of the all-time great finals performances. Like, his amount of contested marks... He's, he's like, he's a dead eyed dick at goal. Yeah. That hanger he took where he yeah. just like, like had it in one hand and strutted and like pointed in Trent Cotchin's face. Like <laughs> every single thing about it was so Richmondy. I mean, the fact that he was so laconic, like after the game, his interviews, the, did you see they did like a chat in the dressing rooms after the game where he had his dad on camera? And he's trying to like do the interview with the headphones on and his dad is just rabbiting away, like clearly. Not really with an understanding of just how momentous this win was. And it's like, yes, the reigning premiers, the raging favourites of the game, were beaten by a guy whose family didn't really care about this game at all. Uh, were beaten by a guy that when they were at draft camp, when he was that same age, had not heard of the sport. <laughs> like this thing that you've been working your entire life towards, your obsession with football, you've got to draft camp, you've got to the fucking draft. The dude who's just towed you up in an AFL preliminary final is a guy who doesn't understand why it's called a preliminary final. <laughs> who spent last week talking about the fact that it didn't make sense it should be called a semi-final is the guy who beat you. Oh, dear God, Rich Mitty, you've been so good to us. The best defender in the league. Multiple All-Australian all, all lines up on this guy who'd only picked up the game three years ago and gets towed up. Like, it's so Richmondy. You know why he's so laconic, Charlie? He doesn't really care that much. No. He's only really been into the sport for four years. <laughs> <laughs> uh, was, it was delightful. I mean, really, the whole weekend was filled with games that spoke to us as a podcast. Like, what we love. I mean... We love West Coast. We've been big fans of West Coast. We put the whole disappointing thing out there as a as an exchange for Richmondy. Like the whole weekend was oh, Charlie, for just our for, audience. Just uh, it was so close this morning because the only thing that I was thinking, you know what? What? Like like Ron Brassy described their performance as uh, disappointing, <laughs> and I was hoping that when I woke up this morning, I would get the Age or the Herald Sun, and the headline on the back would be 
disappointing. <laughs> and I would have just been, <laughs> the journey would be complete. But they went so close. It was debacle. Oh, really? Oh, no, we will take that. We'll take that. It was, it was beautiful to watch. Now, uh, let's talk about the actual game itself. Red no, Hot. Firstly, before we do, yeah. I think that you've missed one other thing oh. that has been such a staple of this podcast and that we both noticed at the start of the game on Friday night, yes. and we both saw as being a terrible omen for how Richmond had got ahead of themselves, <laughs> and they were going to lose the game. And we both had noticed that, and the minute you tweeted about it, I was like, thank fuck, because I'd seen it and gone, gee, that looks like a more expensive than usual haircut Trent Cotchen's running out with tonight. <laughs> it really... I mean, there's really one other guy I knew I could text about that, and that was you. Because, honestly, like, they're lined up for the national anthem. The camera goes along. It's like, where's this $15 Just Cuts haircut? He's got, like, like a, a sort of, um, what do you call it, a shaded sides, and the, and the top had a bit more flair and texture to it. Yeah, Trent Cotchen obviously got ahead of himself. and when it, You know what he got? He got himself a premiership haircut. Yeah, you know what? He got himself a premiership haircut for a preliminary final. That's what <laughs> happened. And... You know what? I didn't like it, Charlie. No. Because he's the heart of that team. And you don't want... Dusty's your fancy haircut guy. Jack Higgins tells you jokes. Like, Mm. you know, they all have pretty defined roles. And he's stepped outside his role. He's gone a little bit razzle-dazzle. Yeah. And I didn't like it. It gave me no... It gave. I was like, that is a barbershop job. Yeah. There is no way that you could not have also got a, a blade cut on your beard and been offered a beer while you waited at the joint you got that $55 haircut you sell out. Well, a listener did get in touch with us on Twitter, and, and uh, forgive me, I can't remember your name, but he did say he felt like it wasn't, he hadn't gone the whole hog for a $90 barbershop haircut. He'd gone for more of a, it was like a $60 Edward Beale of Camberwell haircut. And I was like, oh yeah, that's what it looks like. An Edward Beale $60 Camberwell cut. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm fine with that. But I reckon there's places around now because barbershops are so, uh, that you kind of $50 barber cut. That's yeah. what it looked like to me. Yeah, Not right. quite your top end. Yeah. Do you, you know, think do you think he bought did he buy product to go home with? Did they sell him on the product? New product. Yeah. Did not use his pre-existing product. Yeah, that's the problem. Well, I mean, the thing about his old haircut is it didn't require product. It just had that kind of floof, that just cuts floof to it. <laughs> where it just like sits above your head with no product required. Oh boy. Oh boy. I was listening to Luke Darcy uh, uh talk on uh, something before the game and mm. he, he was talking about the fact that his dad because uh, this goes right into our wheelhouse which is haircuts on AFL footballers mm. and apparently when his dad was playing for the Bulldogs because his dad was a Bulldogs champion the club used to have a hairdresser who was there on game day and it was not unusual for boys to get their hair washed and uh, conditioned at half time and then styled to go out for the second half really? <laughs> yeah I know right at the Bulldogs too now, I was going through some of our uh, mail uh, before the show, and I came across this, and forgive me, because uh, we really probably should have got to this before the game on Friday, but this was an eerie portent of what was to come, and uh, uh, it's not exactly right, but I think it's worth uh, visit- visiting. Uh, this is from Matthew Langdon. The subject was Teabag Theatre, Richmondy Returns. Hi, Will and Charlie. Love the pod and your in-depth analysis of our favourite introvert, Nat Fife. From a Frio fan living in Melbourne, it's more insightful than any the Melbourne, any Melbourne-based journal will ever be about the club. For the longest time, I've thought about the concept of Richmondy and its meaning. With the upcoming final against Collingwood creeping closer, could we be seeing the dramatic finale of the most tragic Richmondy moment yet? 
Given Charlie's background in acting, I thought I'd attempt to break it down into a series of acts to add to the dramatic effect. Love it. Act one. So he's given each act a title. The Before Time. Rich, the, the Richmondy story doesn't start last week or last year. It starts many years ago with a succession of moments that have come to define Richmondy. The loss to a ninth place team in the finals, snatching defeat from the jaws of victory and providing the humorous content we all came to know and love. Act two. Icarus soars. The year it all came together. Something finally clicked. The whole team bought in thanks to the efforts of their fellow perennial underdogs the year before, Will's Bulldogs. The belief was there. This ragtag group of the most, uh, of the most handsome man to ever play footy. The scrappy number four who rose to new levels and the Jokers, uh, and the Jokers could beat anyone, finally overcoming their fears and reforming the Richmondy name to be that of the, of underdog success. Act three. The evil empire. <laughs> While Richmond basked in the reflection of the Premiership Club glistening in the sun and Jack Revolt's brief career as the lead singer of the Killers, an evil empire lay in wait for their chance. Led by a mercurial leader with a love of all things top 10 list related, who finally harnessed his power thanks to an ancient secret taught to him by a legend of the original underdogs, Darcy's meditation training. Spurred <laughs> on by these ancient teachings, he leads a team so iron-focused on success the loss of several of their own men doesn't slow them down. It makes them push harder, unwilling to yield to the more powerful forces in front of them. They fight eagles and they slay giants, all for their chance against the new rulers of the land. Supported by their army of devoted, hardened followers, they do not care for the new improved tigers, for they remember the tigers of old, the tigers they saw bruised and battered for years as they sat across Olympic Boulevard. Act 4. Richmondy Returns. Now it's the Magpies' chance. Despite all their trials and tribulations, they stand ready for their duel with the Tigers, a team possibly cocky from their recent success, which I think is not a bad insight. They, uh, they toy with the Magpies, however little mistakes start to occur. They laugh it off as their talent shall overcome any small issues, but they keep happening again and again and again. Panic starts to seep in. Has the Emperor been revealed to be wearing no clothes? Despite all their talent, the cocky Tigers lower the guard for a split second and that's all the magpies need. They pounce. The Tigers have one last roll of the dice. The ball ends up with their greatest warrior, Dustin Martin, bursting from the pack, ball in hand. The seconds tick down. Three, he plants his left foot on the ground. Two, the ball drops on his right foot. He makes contact. One, the AFL's most beautiful man, Alex Rance, trips in front of him, unable to control his fall. His face meets the trajectory of the ball. It cannons into his perfect jaw and careens into the crowd. No score, siren sounds. The magpies have won. Okay, so look. Act four needs a bit of work, but considering you wrote this before the game, not bad. Act I five. Mean, oh, there's more. Well, well, yeah. <laughs> there's more. Five acts. Traditional Shakespearean structure, Will. Act five, the epilogue. They had proven to be a modern-day Icarus, flying too close to the sun to see the swooping magpies closing in. A moment in time where expectations were not just high, but they were met with cockiness, believing loss to be impossible. This cockiness is met with an inexplicable capitulation of the skills and talent that brought them to this place as the world looks on as what, at what has befallen them. The empire shattered. They have handed back control to the empire that tormented them. Richmondy returns to, play, uh, to plague the land. The end. I hope this all makes sense. I'm writing it to mentally avoid a current university assignment. You guys can, I hope you guys can get some good content out of it. Cheers again. Love the pod. Matt. Matt, that is... Brilliant. You forget the like how much Richmond hate Collingwood. 
Like, they are their greatest mortal enemy. Yeah. So, the fact that it was Collingwood must be... Because we don't quite get that, not being Richmond fans ourselves. But to Richmond fans, that must burn. And I saw some of the cockiness of the Richmond fans online before the game. They were, which I enjoy, by the way. I love all the taunting and the... the uh, but, geez. Like, it's just not in your Bulldog spirit. It's not in your Saints spirit to be... Like, we won. Cocky. But yeah. they never gave me time to get cocky about anything. <laughs> we were shit again before I had time to get cocky. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when you started seeing that hashtag, I don't know if it's a hashtag, but it was definitely a slogan of yellow and black back to back. We should have known. Like, we should have known. I think we all just got sucked in. We got sucked into the entourage bromance. We got sucked into the Jack Higgins telling jokes. I mean, do you think Jack put his hand up to tell a joke at halftime in this game? I mean, it would have been some pretty dark material. <laughs> it would have been some Bill Hicks shit. Yeah. <laughs> he would have gone all Nanette. <laughs> like, I mean, guys. <laughs> so Matt, Matt pretty much, he got everything right apart from the actual way, uh, you know, the, the, the actual way the game went. But in terms of like the cockiness and the panic setting in, that was clearly evident. Like that was the first time I've seen Richmond rattled all season, I reckon. Well, when you never drop it and then you drop it and when you never fumble it and then you fumble it, there's just got to be a moment where you kept they keep they kept trying things, mm. and Collingwood got the good rub of the ball a couple of times early, which was like lucky for them. But from the minute Cox marked that first mark mm. and Dugowie kicked his first goal, you were like, "Hang on, Collingwood yeah. are on here." Totally. Like if Mason Cox can clunk them and if Dugowie can kick goals, that's essentially what they need. And God, Steel Sidebottom has turned into like a superstar, like top echelon, you know, as good as any mid midfielder in the game now. He is Burgoyne, unreal. And Burgo at Burgoyne-esque, I reckon, still side bottom is. He's silky. Like, you just, you know he's going to hit a target. He's the guy that you get the ball to who seems to have more time and space than anyone now. There are so many stories in that Collingwood team too. Like, you know, when you want grand final stories. I mean, you know, the Mason Cox one. Like, I mean, his parents are going to be on TV more than I have been this fucking year. <laughs> like, they... <laughs> They're going to be on every show this year. They'll be on Have You Been Paying Attention? Fucking Mason Cox's parents. Like, they've got some real showtime out of this week. But what an amazing story that is. But that Dugowie story, what an amazing story. When you look at, gold um, sack. you know, Josh Thomas, Goldsack, like, they've just got stories up and down the ground. True lore, mm. you know, like, there's just so many amazing stories in that Collingwood team that... Uh, but what, I, but what I feel, and we'll, we can get onto the West Coast uh, Melbourne game now, but I sort of feel like I've got a lot of friends who are now disinterested in the grand final because it's essentially, you know, the Collingwood of the West taking on Collingwood. Two big powerhouse teams. There's no fairy tale story this year. So a lot of neutral supporters that I know are switched off. But me, being a big fan of this West Coast team, I'm like, this could be great because it's all going to be about Collingwood this week. Like Collingwood is, Collingwood, there's a danger that Collingwood could get a bit Richmond this week and be strutting around because it was such an impressive victory. But I think there is something about this Eagles side. There's something about them that I feel is, I don't know, predestined. I, they're, they're an amazing team. Like, and they've had their own, like Collingwood, like they've almost mirrored each other. They've had the same injury issues. They've got all kinds of stories that have happened in their season, losing that Nui. Like, it's, I uh, think it's actually, Gaff. yeah. Like, Gaff, Gaff might win the fucking Brown, though, and Nana Nui's their best player. And they've been without both of them. And that Backman, who's good, whose name I can't remember, yeah, I don't know. He plays for West Coast. <laughs> but, like, <laughs> but I feel like 
this is going to be a belter. Like I understand there isn't that kind of fairy tale element to it, but in terms of like two teams that are like really evenly matched and stuff, I think this is going to be a cracking grand final. Does Jeremy McGovern? Is he the most unlikely-looking yes. champion footballer that, that there it, is in the AFL? Yeah, it looks like they've put a jumper on a fridge and just rolled it out <laughs> onto a football field. He has the most unathletic-looking body I've ever seen. It looks terrible. I keep looking at it going, is he really fat? Like, yeah. is he got, like what? what's going on? Do they not but do skin is, folds in Perth or what? He is... Such such a good player. Like I mean, he just is an amazing footballer. But he looks like if you're picking like players, on if you didn't know any of them, and it was just like you know each captain gets a pick, he would be the last bloke picked. Yeah, yeah. He but he like you say is he's got a bit of. I mean, not that he looks like him, but he plays like Glenn Jakovic. Yeah, just that huge yeah, kind of lunk at centre half back who just grabs everything. <laughs> Um, and, and of course, exciting for us because like JJK was superb. Yes. Like just, he is like, and I just still do love that there is just a bit of like old school country like, footballer. You know, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. you know, it's all well and good that a guy who's never played the game for five years can dominate in one final. But I also like the idea of a guy who could win a wood chopping competition <laughs> also dominate the game. Well, it was funny in that last, like the last half of the game yesterday between uh, the D's and the Eagles, I was like, okay, well, the Eagles are so far in front now. This is going to be bruise free from now on. Like no one's going to want to like go for the hardball. And I felt like you could tell they'd definitely taken their foot off and they were just like not tackling quite as hard because they had it in the pocket, except for one guy, JJK. Like with two minutes to go, he was fucking flying for contested marks, like smashing himself because... He's an old school footballer. Like he sees ball, get ball. That's the way he plays. Yeah. Like, yeah. Some people were definitely playing sort of a protected style of football in the second half, but most of them were playing for Melbourne. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, did you watch, did you watch the whole thing? Yeah. I, it was hard to, but yeah. I did. I, uh, cause I met some friends at a pub, um, and I watched like the first half of the first quarter and I was like, Oh, this is looking ugly. And then, I did a bit of house cleaning, had a shower, jumped in the car, drove up to the pub. So by the time I got to the pub, it was half time. And I think the score was something like 56 points to six, 56, like, yeah, 56 points to six. And I walked into the pub and there was two very sad, lonely looking Melbourne supporters with their Guernseys on at the front. And I was like, holy shit, Melbourne just has a habit of getting into big games like the 88 grand final was the one in like 2000, 2001 or 99 or something where they just get absolutely hammered. And it's got to be like 10 years of PTSD, right? Uh, it is. Like it was, I mean, they have a lot of things they can take out of this season sure. that are positives. Sure. But none of them were in that game. No. There was nothing positive for Melbourne in that game. A few people tried. But like the, all their stars, all their players who, you know, it was their time to step up, yeah. didn't. Like, yeah. you know, Gorn was tried hard, but, you know, wasn't the guy who might win the Brownlow tomorrow. Um, and, you know, guys that you expect to be in finals like Viney and guys like that just were nullified and, and just couldn't get into the game. Brayshaw got a bit of it, but just like was fumbly and they just couldn't hit a handball for like for the first half of the game. They just... 
every time they got the ball, they would just fuck it up or like miss the ball with their hand or just like bash it in the ground or handball it to a West Coast. And I think part of it was because West Coast are really good. Yeah. And I think part of it was like Melbourne were terrible. Well, the baffling thing is though, the highest scoring team who are the best contested ball team who beat the Eagles less than a month ago in Perth just didn't show up. And it's like, that's all going to be psychological. There's not, all of the metrics say they should have been in that game. The only thing that would write them, would put them out of it is that they weren't switched on. It's like, how can you not be switched on? You've been striving for this moment, like for so long. I just don't understand. Is it, is it just that crowd gets extra hostile in finals time or what? No, I think, I, I think that they only have one way of playing. Right. And their one way of playing is that just, yeah, just, you might know about this, Charlie, because BT mentioned it 900 times the previous week, but, um, they play a chaos ball style of football. Yeah. <laughs> Have you heard people oh. talk about that? Oh, yeah, I've heard of it. That's, yeah, because that's what all that anybody ever talks about is that Melbourne play a chaos ball. And I think that they were playing it and it was being just genuinely chaotic and they couldn't get something going and they, then they have nothing else. And it did sort of feel like, when you have players missing from directly in front, like Petraka had a few shots, Maxi gone, you know, missed that shot when he was like 15 meters out. It's just like, ah, you know, it's not going to be your day. And I did, you just sort of did feel like their energy got sapped out of them. Like uh, uh, Mike Hal just uh, asked us to talk about the Mark Lacrage uh, goal, the one on the line where he literally missed everything, but it hit the back of his heel and rolled through. And that was, I think, to put them about 50 points up just before half time. And you just know, like, if that's happening for your opposition, then why the fuck are we even here? Like, they're kicking goals and they don't even mean to. But what you missed, Charlie, because you were on your way to the pub was, uh, where, I, at half time, West Coast had been unlucky. They'd had a goal overturned. There'd been, like, a couple of, like, free kicks that, would, like, didn't go their way. They were actually hadn't got the rub of the green. They could have been an extra 20 points in front. <laughs> They're just men. West Coast look like men. Yeah. You know, I think it is a, we- a traditional West Coast thing. They always, but the way they play is just like the kids had run up against the men and the yeah. men were just like, nah, we won't be having any of that nonsense. Melbourne are trying to do their, you know, we'll quick handball and run through and the adults are just like, nah, I don't think so, mate. <laughs> so why is it that two teams had a week off, they had a bye because they won in the first round? One team seemed to do them the world of good. The other team, probably not a great thing. Yeah. It's it's one of those things that after the... I guess if that game had gone the other way, if Melbourne had rolled over West Coast, there would have been a lot of debate around the 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 effect of the extra week off. But the fact that West Coast... Unless the message we should be getting out of this is that West Coast will be even better next week after a run, which is a scary prospect. But I, I think that it's just... All these things are about preparation. I don't think it. I don't think one or the other matters too much as long as you get your six days each. Well, this now the interesting question for Tigers and Tigers fans is: Is this like an aberration? Is this Geelong in two thousand and eight? Is this Essendon in in two thousand? Like, is it clearly the best team didn't win? So can they get back next year, or do we have a shit ton of material for two guys one cup twenty nineteen? I mean, so many exciting possibilities for the yeah. next series. This, this is this is turning out to be an excellent finale. Oh, uh, and we uh, we just 
We should trust our instincts. We should always trust our instincts. Like that's what I've learned from this. Backs against the wall versus Richmond. I'm never, never going against that again. Well, you know what this feels like? It feels like like it's early episodes of um, like one of those dating series like The Bachelor. Essentially, they find the f- in the first few episodes, it's the actual stars of the show. And then they just like have to spend some time focusing on the other people who aren't going to win and whatever. And the stars, they go away for a while. But then towards the end, they all come back and you're like, oh, yeah, right. This is what it's all about. And I feel like this season has definitely been like that. The best stories of the season have ended up like, you know, kind of you know, running into each other in the finals. Well, there's an article uh, by Cal Toomey on AFL.com yesterday about Richmond. This was the year that Richmond lost a flag. Like they were easily the team that should have won. And I'm starting to think that that doesn't make any sense. He talked about Essendon in 2000 and he talked about Geelong in 2008. St Kilda in 2009 when we only lost two games for the year and we couldn't win the grand final. I just think that the beauty of our game is that on the right day, anyone can fucking take you out. I mean, and it was, even the commentators were saying in that Collingwood game, like it was extraordinary. Like it was one of the best first halves of football you've ever seen a team play. Yeah, and we undervalue West Coast because they actually did better the next day. Yeah. And Melbourne did worse. But yeah, like- but they, they, did, they did better against not the premiership favourites though. That's why I think the, the Collingwood thing's put. That's why I'm feeling like maybe Collingwood have played their grand final a week early. Maybe. I mean, maybe. Who knows? Like, it, it, it does. I think I would have backed Collingwood against Melbourne, but it's hard to. We'll, we'll have another episode before the grand final and we'll work it out. But, yeah. Um, uh, it's, it's. I mean, now, do people get behind Collingwood? Like, or do people hate Collingwood so much that they just don't get behind them? Regardless? Yeah. Like, if you're Victorian, do you go Collingwood or the Victorian team? Or yeah. do you just go, nah? I, you know what it is? It's like it's like when uh, uh, your candidate doesn't get the nomination and you're like, fuck it, I'm not voting. I'm not voting at all. <laughs> is that what you do? Yeah. I'm not sure that's what you should do. You should still vote. <laughs> that's what I feel like. I mean, anecdotally, I sort of feel like it's, it's, it's all or nothing with Collingwood. You're either behind them. I myself am going to be going for the Eagles. Like, I... I don't really want to see another Collingwood flag. I still have PTSD from 2010. I'm not ready to hear that song again. Um, but I'm all in for this grand final. I think it's going to be a belter. I, I'd be happy with either team winning. And that's always a good result. Well, you, I know you are. Like, I, I just, really would be. Yeah, I know. You've been a real, you've been a real Collingwood booster this year. And I, I don't know. I mean, I, like, I, look, I'm not going to critique your life choices, Will. It's this Collingwood I like. And yeah. I'm prepared. But I liked Richmond last year. And I was displeased with Richmond. No, I like Richmond this year. But I got a lot of joy out of seeing what Collingwood did to them. So that was interesting to me too, because I actually do like Richmond. That's like having one of your favourite characters on the show, but your favourite scene is when they die. (laughs) You're like... (laughs) Mike Hall has just uh, let us know that on AFL.com, a poll has has most fans tipping uh, the Eagles over the pies, 61% to 39%. So the Eagles are the raging favourites, which plays into Collingwood's hands because it's putting them into a backs-against-the-wall situation. See, I would prefer that all the talk was around Collingwood because if they're, if they're not the favourites, then that, that's going to play... Hang on, what am I saying? Yeah, backs against, Yeah, if they're not the favourites, then they're going to win. Yeah, I think the Eagles... Like, I think on Friday night, there was a lot of talk afterwards of, like, no one can beat Collingwood. And then everyone watched the Eagles play and went, oh, yeah, that's right, the Eagles could probably beat Collingwood. <laughs> 
All right. Those are really good. There'll be more. Uh, to- hey, uh, before we go, yeah, uh, we should uh, mention that we've had a special guest here in the studio the entire time, but we didn't uh, obviously get them on the microphone until now. Uh, but uh, we've started doing AFL interviews on this show, obviously, and uh, very pleased to say that the uh, Frenchman himself, Marc Lacroix, has joined <laughs> us here in the studio, which is very exciting for Charlie and I. He's been here, as I said, for the entire podcast, but... Uh, we didn't get him on until now because we do the interviews at the end. But uh, Mark, <laughs> have uh, you finished? Uh-huh. I'm sorry. I have uh, I was too busy. I just uh, riding my bicycle uh, along the river Seine. I enjoyed the, uh, the game uh, last night so much. Let me hang on. I'm just trying to get my music. Uh, here we go. Uh, wait a minute. Uh, here we go. <laughs> ah, yes. Yesterday, I felt so good about the way we played. The way the ball made its way to my boot with a minimum effort. It was a beautiful day for the Eagles. JJK, Willie Rioli, Leroy Jetta, Flying Liam Ryan. All the boys played so well. And you know the best thing about this, Will? Will, sorry, I went to German for a second. <laughs> The best part about this is there's still one week to play. So I put my fromage on, on hold. I <laughs> sup my last wine for the evening. And I get prepared for the games this week. Hopefully next week I will have no regrets. You may say, No, je ne regrette rien. No, je ne regrette rien. I must go. Adam Simpson is calling me and I do not want to upset him. Au revoir. Thank you, Mark Lacroix, the little Frenchman. Wow. Uh, down That's the amazing. line from the River Seine, which I assume is in France. I hope. <laughs> well, you don't need to know. It's his, his fault. He's French. Yeah, he should know where his river is. He uh, should know. Uh, yes, we'll be doing a, a special uh, preview and also... Uh, Big uh, post-grand final show Sunday afternoon at the uh, uh, European Beer Cafe in Melbourne. Uh, tickets are selling like hot baguettes. <laughs> I believe. <laughs> oh, he's back. <laughs> Mark, get out of here. No, one more thing to say. You cannot beat the Frenchman. I shall duck. I shall weave. I shall kick the goal. <laughs> All right, Mark. Thank you. Goodbye. <laughs> uh, tickets are selling like hot baguettes. Uh, so make sure uh, if you want to come uh, celebrate or commiserate, uh, we have a special guest that can we uh, we can announce, I believe. Yeah, I think so. Scott Dooley, uh, the man that's going to play James Hurd in the James Hurd miniseries. <laughs> Scott Dooley, uh, Collingwood fan, is flying back from the USA to go to the game. And uh, he has also agreed to be a guest on our podcast the next day. So good result or bad result for the pies, Duels will be on the podcast. And uh, we may we we're still working on on getting Jack Higgins. Uh, I don't know where he'll be next week. Maybe we're already on his footy trip. I know a lot of players uh, when they lose a final, they can't bear to watch the grand final. But um, we have an in. Uh, Michael's told me we have an in to getting to Jack Higgins. So we're going to make the request and uh, maybe get Jack on to tell a joke at the halfway mark of I our mean, show. I mean, that would be amazing if we could do that. We'd be very <laughs> excited about that. And also. Um, we'd love to get a West Coast guest on, but we don't really know anyone in Barracksville West Coast. <laughs> so, uh, if anyone knows Daniel Ricardo or, uh, Julie Bishop, or get, us, get him on the show, or get Basil Zemkis to, uh, phone in. 
Oh, Basil. Yeah, we could get Basil to come in after weekend breakfast. Yeah, totally. All right. Um, play on, not 15. Ball. We are two guys, one car.